Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. A little bit of a gray day out there. Uh, I would, if you're listening to this podcast, remember the flowers are going fast for Mother's Day, so get on out there right away <laughs> as quickly as you can. Uh, there's already pretty slim pickings. Um, Bruce, how are you doing? Well, getting by, getting by. It's two months now since uh, life has been very normal, you know. Rocking the COVID beard. Haven't touched it. I had a nice haircut and clean-shaven look there that week. I, I gave a talk to the astronomy club, and you know, and uh, since then I haven't. I, I was almost thinking I hadn't touched a hair on my head, but I, I uh, there was a few nose hairs that paid the ultimate price here a while back. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm just that's too much going, information, Bruce. Going for, <laughs> going, going for the Joe Thornton look. Although Joe Joe himself, I guess, has uh, taken on a new look lately. I figure if I live to be about maybe 200 years old i might get the might get the thornton shaggy thing going i'd like to see the brent burns look on you bruce like the a little bit of the shaved sides of the head you know the man bun and tattoos up and down the body there that's what you got to go for yeah i'll stop brushing my teeth right away and start going for that that would does he have bad teeth that's that's part of he's the got look, no yeah. teeth that's part of the look yeah he's uh <laughs> Yes, he looks like, uh, yeah, Viking warrior circa uh, uh, 930 AD, Brent Burns. He got off the ship with his knife, everybody ran. (laughs) I've been watching Viking, so it's on my mind here. I don't know if you ever watched that series. It's pretty good, especially the first two seasons. Um, All right, today we're going to talk about, because the NHL's uh, talking about holding the draft, uh, we're going to dig into it. and. Initially, Bruce, you're, why don't we, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a couple of Bakersfield signings. We're going to look at um, the consensus picks of the experts for the draft and who might fall to the Oilers. They're going to look draft probably around number 20 if it, if it proceeds as planned. Uh, you were kind of sour on the idea of the draft initially. I, I have to say that I was initially agnostic, didn't really care when they held the draft. Uh, although the reasons that you gave seem to make sense of not holding it. But I, I have to admit that now that they're going to, if they if they are going to hold it now, it doesn't bother me that much. I, it doesn't, I don't really care when when they hold the draft. I'm, I think it's kind of fun to have something different to talk about for, for us. And maybe that's what they're thinking of is give hockey fans some distractions, something to think about in the next little while rather than just this same old gloom and doom. So I, I guess I'm mildly in favor of it. Don't really give a hoot. Uh, I know that it changes the the um, it, it impacts the team significantly on whether they can make trades or not. And I think we may have talked about this. Like the Oilers might have traded any number of players, mm-hmm. uh, which they now won't be able to trade because they're heading into the playoffs. Right. But there's a there's a bright side. And yes, we pull the RV. Um, if there's no trades allowed except for players outside the NHL, suddenly yes, he pull the RVs value shoots up and Bob Stoffer, Mark Spector had an interesting segment on this where they were talking about it. And I wrote a post on it. And, and my conclusion is, yeah, like if instead of getting one or two draft picks for pull which I think would have been the maximum haul, maybe I, I don't think they could have got more than a second for him, Bruce, um, leading up to this. Now I think they might be able to get a second and a third and maybe another pick. Like if, if you're a team looking to improve and you mm-hmm. can't trade for any of the veteran players, 
I mean, even if they allow the trade of veteran players, if they're heading into the playoffs, they're not going to be traded. That suddenly, if you're looking to improve your team, Jesse Pugliarvi looks like a pretty good idea for next season. Like, And if you're stocked up on picks, you got too many. Um, if your intention was to use those picks to get players, then Jesse Pugliarvi makes a lot of sense. So I covered a lot of ground there. Have you Has your thoughts changed on the draft, first of all? Well, my thoughts have been, you know, I mean, we'll take it as it comes and uh, we'll, we'll get our heads around it. Uh, I think, I mean, one thing's evident that nothing is going to be normal. Exactly. Uh, I, I really, I don't like the idea from a competitive perspective of having the draft before the playoffs. Like that really upsets the apple cart and introduces a time warp into the, into the processes and you could say well it's you know it's unfair equally unfair for all the teams but actually that's not true i mean some teams are are in a place where they need to rely on that draft i mean you got montreal canadians with 14 draft picks i don't suppose their plan was really to use all 14 picks and i don't suppose their plan was to trade picks for prospects they probably wanted to you know maybe package two or three of them up and get a real player for the team uh, same with Ottawa Senators that have three first round picks and four more in the second round that, uh, you know, that's a lot of young players to be introducing into your system at one time that, I mean, how do you find playing time for all those guys? So it might impact, you know, how and where they draft guys from that, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, they might look away from the junior leagues and look more to college or overseas where they can leave players developing outside of their organization. Or maybe, as you say, uh, a 22-year-old, just turned 22-year-old, Yasapul Yarvi, who apparently has, uh, you know, had a fine season in the Finnish League. By all accounts, he's recovered his his confidence and, more importantly to me, his joie de vivre, which was a huge part of what made him such an interesting player back in his junior days. And apparently he's rediscovered that. If I'm Ottawa and that guy is out there, and say they're asking for my number 21 overall pick late in the first round, maybe I'm thinking about that trade because you're getting now, instead of an 18-year-old who's way off in the future somewhere, you've already got a stack of them with all the other picks you got. Maybe maybe you can move one of those picks or maybe a couple of the second rounders to get that player. And, and the Oilers might, you know, try and work up a bidding war between, you know, a couple of teams, you know, Ottawa and Montreal being obvious choices, but... Any team that's sort of stacked up with draft picks uh, might, you know, that's a way to accelerate the process, right? So, well, uh, Nikita Gusev got a second round pick last year, didn't he? Not from from Vegas, wasn't that the price? But he's a little different because he was a he's quite a bit older. He's older. So you with Puliyarvi, you're trading for a player in his RFA years. You still have right. four years. So here's what I'm thinking, Bruce. When I think of because we were just looking at all these players, right? And we know. When you get it after the 15th, after the 10th pick in the draft, the odds of these players becoming really good NHLers goes down from about, you know, maybe half, maybe out of the top 10 picks, about half of those guys generally turn out to be pretty good NHL players. When you get past the top 10 picks, uh, it, it gets to be more like one in three, one in four, second round, one in five, one in six. Uh, I think those numbers are my cat wants in the room here. Um, but uh, so seriously, you look at Jesse Pugliarvi, what chance does he have at this point of being a 
um, third, uh, second line winger in the NHL. I, I'd say it's about one in three, one in three shot of becoming that player still. I mean, he was, as a 21-year-old in Finland, he's a great big guy with a super skill set. I'd say mm-hmm. he's got about a 33%, one in three chance of being a top six winger in the NHL still. And um, when you look at the odds of these picks between, um, let's say, below 15th in the first round, the odds are no better. Now, the, they might think they're better. Like, I know that there's this allure of the draft pick and the allure of the undrafted player and the potential of all that. But if you take a hard look at it, um, Pulley Arby has every bit as much of a chance as players taken after 15th, 15th of this draft of being a top six winger in the NHL, I think. And um, why not? And he's close, much closer to it if you're looking to improve right away. So I'm still hoping, Bruce, that he stays with the Oilers because I, I think that holds true for the Oilers as well. This is a guy who could step into your top nine quite easily next year and be, be a contributing hockey player. But if that's not going to happen, yeah, like I was thinking at most a second round pick for Pugliarvi last year, but I think his value has gone up because he played quite well in the Finnish league and he's a year older and he, he passed that test. So, so what do you think? Do you think that, I guess you were suggesting the same thing, a first round pick from Ottawa, 21st overall might be in the cards. And I agree with you. Like, why not? Yeah, well, as you say, it, if the trading of players is restricted, whether they actually put a formal restriction on trading roster players or simply the informal one that teams preparing for a playoff run aren't going to be trading guys out of their team, uh, that that makes the pool of sort of accessible players who could step in and help your team right away shrinks drastically. And, and yes, a pool Yarby would be on that list of, of guys that are, you know, ready for... He should be ready for the NHL by now, and I, th- you know, it's from the sounds of things and from people who've been following him uh, closely in Finland, uh, he's, you know, he's turned things around in a couple of a couple of different ways, and especially just in Health. in out- outlook and attitude and just, yeah. you know, re- rediscovering himself, and he's uh, he's a different breed of cat, but uh, uh, as we've seen when he's, you know, when he's going good. Uh, that can be a very positive thing. He can make plays. He skates. He's big. The, the guy can play hockey. I mean, uh, I, I was sad to see him go. I, I believe he's an NHL hockey player. I believe he's likely a second-line winger. Uh, he's always been responsibly defensively. He's not this big, gaping, terrible hole on defense. He just was, I mean, he played with, they put up with Milan Lucic uh, most of his minutes, and it was yeah. just terrible. Um what do you th- what's the highest Bruce would you say they could get? Like if they were just to trade him for a, the highest possible pick, what do you think might, what do you think might be, ju- if you were a GM and you have to justify it to your owner in your own mind, what, what's the highest you would give up as a GM? Uh, well, I think they, I think they, they can look in the, you know, the back part of the first round. Like I don't see 21 as being out of, out of the question but i mean that's just that's just a guess but this talk that he's automatically a second round pick now that's a long way down from where they originally got him and and of course he's going to be sold off at a discounted rate rate from what they paid for him but uh they i i see potentially one late first rounder or two second rounders or maybe a second and a third or you know a couple picks and the orders are short on picks so I think there's a pretty good chance they're going to move on from this guy if they can't indeed convince him to come back. 
Well, having looked at the forwards, and we're going to talk about some of these forwards available, mm-hmm. um, and we were generally looking at players who are going to be drafted between 10 and 20, right. is who we looked at. And I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, he would be traded for one of those players. But anyway, I think between, I think, you know, from the Oilers kind of draft pick on, right. depending who's available, um, mm-hmm. t- 20 and on, I think is a good range for Pugliarvi. And I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a late first rounder. And I think that if you're an NHL GM, that's a good trade actually for you. I don't think that's a bad trade at all. Um, you're getting a, a decent player there. Hey, Bruce, here's one thought. Could, so in European soccer, they have a, something called the, the January transfer window. If you trade, if you sign a player, and they, it's always just signings then, if you sign a player then, you're allowed to use that player in the re, for your regular season games, but not for your playoff games or for your Champions League games. Right. Champion League, Champions League rosters are set. Okay. So if you, like, they, they could open it up, I guess, to all players, but the player you trade for can't be used for the playoffs. That, that doesn't make sense. But here's here's one thought. Could they have it where you could trade for anybody, but the trade doesn't, you the team that trades the player, let's say the Oilers were to trade Juju Kara, the trade would not happen until after the playoffs. So they trade him for the draft. He's going, but he stays with the Oilers for the playoffs. Now here's the precedent for that. Like it's the transfer window in January wasn't a good, but Premier League trade, teams transfer players for year-long transfers all the time right. and they then that player plays against your team that year yep. so it's people can get their heads around different things in life when you think oh that could never happen but actually people can get their heads around things Juju Kara might understand that he would be leaving the team at the end of the playoffs but and there would be increased risk for the team getting him because he might be injured and there might be a motivation issue with the player he's unhappy uh-huh. But is that, could that never happen? Is that completely off the table? Well, yeah. Uh, the answer to that is have the darn draft after the playoffs. But, uh, you know, that might be a dead issue. But trading guys and then keeping them to play for you, I think that's fraught with with, with the difficulties. That they, I mean, the precedent I think of, and bearing in mind that zero games were actually played in this time, but I think of... Uh, of poor Ladislav Smeed, poor Andrew Calgiano, and poor Dustin Penner, all dangling in the wind for the entire month of July that the Oilers thought they had traded for Danny Heatley. And uh, Heatley resolutely resisted their advances to convince him to come to Edmonton while they flew off to uh, um, Kamloops, was it, to, to, uh, to sing through his bedroom window or whatever the hell they were doing out there. Anyway, uh, it, it was an embarrassing situation. And the poor players were just, you know, the oiler guys, the would-be traded oiler guys that all wound up coming back to the team the next year. And I don't think that helped. Uh, and, you know, even though the situation was resolved long before a game was played, that no, the trade was off. But in the meantime, the names were out there and it... it, it <sighs> It's a divided loyalty situation, as you say, and and it would be really difficult for a guy playing in the playoffs, uh, putting it all out there for his teammates that he knows he's going elsewhere at the end of the year, and what it, you know, it, it it changes the priority priorities, changes the togetherness of the team a little bit. Like I think it, there's there's issues doing it that way. 
Yeah, I think it's highly unlikely. I think it's a highly unlikely scenario. But, you know, there's players, there's UFAs on a team who know, everyone knows, everybody knows he's not sticking around right. after the playoffs and he plays he's and it's no problem, right? What's the difference on a certain level? It's, it's you know, they would take, it's highly unusual. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's impossible, but uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, all right, Bruce, the Bakersfield Condors site, a couple of minor league contracts, Jacob mm-hmm. Stuckel, and uh, who played with, the t- he's played with the team, I think, a couple of years now. Yep. Um, he's a little buzzsaw of a fourth line winger. He's got some offense, hustles hard. Um, AHL contract, and who else did they sign? He's a former Calgary hitman, and and uh, you know one of those depth guys that uh, you know he scored reasonably, but not great at the uh, junior level. The other guy they signed was uh, a defenseman, Yanni Caldas, a twenty-four-year-old uh, defenseman from U.S. College that just looked very similar to the four guys they signed there uh, on a month ago. And uh, he was a four four year defenseman for Cornell University, and he's um, he's not a big guy. He's only five eleven, one hundred and eighty seven pounds. Uh, Elite prospects has him shooting right, but I'm pretty sure he's a left shot defenseman, uh, which does change the equation in Bakersfield. They're, they probably need a righty more than a lefty. Uh, and in Cornell, he's had some very good offensive numbers. Uh, including 28 and 24 points the last two years. This year, How do you spell his last name, Bruce? Uh, oh, his last it. name is Caldis, K-A-L-D-I-S. He was the captain of Cornell, and he, in 29 games, five goals, 19 assists, 24 points, just four penalty minutes, and plus 13, you know, so solid boxcars as, as far as those go. And so he's just another in the line of AHL contracts that... Uh, our colleague Kurt Levin suggested some time ago that the Oilers would be doing more of those, not the Oilers, but the organization would be doing more of those AHL contracts and expending fewer spots on the 50-man list. And we're seeing that, you know, with those college guys, we're seeing that with the uh, 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 with the young fellows, like the the, uh, uh, the the young guy they they signed out of Medicine Hat there the other day. AHL contract and also internal rehires within the AHL of which Stuckel is another but they've already had uh, Brad Malone, Luke Esposito uh, commit to those deals so they're going to have a sounds like a higher proportion of their team uh, that will be playing strictly on AHL or minor league contracts James Hamblin that was the young uh, yeah, the junior guy they just signed as well, and so what Kurt said was the uh, like the organizational plan going forward. It does seem to be crystallizing in terms of how Bakersfield is going about their business, and of course, overhanging all of this is the huge question marks over uh, what a 2020-21 season would look like in the minor leagues, where they don't have a big TV deal and and huge money interests. And they're they're much closer to being break-even operations. So uh, I, I think there's going to be a, a trickle-down on the minor leagues that has maybe changed the entire outlook of how things happen down there. But that's a question for the future. All I can do is prepare yeah. as if there's going to be a season. Listen, even the best AHL team has six, seven guys who are going to make the NHL. 
mm-hmm. and you usually know who they are. Like it's not a mm-hmm. mystery about who who's that going to be. Yep. And so the Oilers, you know, they they have their guys that they need to to give lots of ice time to Ryan McLeod and Raphael Lavoie and Maximov Samarukov. Right. Uh, the new signing, what's his name, Lenstrom, yep. um, Nima Leinen. Yep. I mean, so that's who they're going to be working on, and these guys are going to fill in around. And Jacob Stuckel's a a good little player, but he, the chances of him playing in the NHL are. You know what? One in a one in five hundred. Yeah, he's right there with Luke Esposito. Of you know, a good solid minor league player, and you need some of those to have a competitive program. Yeah. So that's just you know taking care of business. And the guy out of Cornell, I mean, those guys may you know they signed five of them. Maybe one of them surprises them, and next year they upgrade him to a to a two way uh, deal because they see a potential in that guy. Right. I mean, that's what happened with uh, uh, that's what happened with uh, Logan Day, is it not? And it's uh, uh, certainly there's past. You always have past history with guys like Mark Arcabello and Josh Curry, who originally signed minor league deals and later upgraded to NHL deals and later actually played for the Oilers in the NHL. Neither made a huge impact, but, you know, they actually were able to make that step up from from sort of low, low profile prospect to actually made the show. Caldus does shoot left, by the way. You're you're right yeah. about that. And it makes me wonder if Bakersfield is going to sign. Like it looks like they needed a veteran defenseman, right, to mm-hmm. to round out this group. Well, uh, maybe Caldus is it. I mean, so. They got Lenstrom, Nima Lennon, Samarukov, Janice Jacks. He's another UFA college free agent. DeHarnay and Bouchard on their defense, as far as I can tell. And now they have Caldas. Mm-hmm. So that's seven guys. Maybe, you know, maybe they're not going to bring in that, that veteran guy that they have to pay three or $400,000 to this year. And they're just going to go and say, okay, Lenstrom, Nima Lennon, you're the veterans. And uh, Evan Bouchard, you're the veteran. Samarukov, you're the veteran. There's there's your guys, and filling around that. I, that seems to be the plan uh, at this point. And maybe they're not bringing back Josh Curry. They haven't signed him yet, Bruce. No, they have not. And he is unrestricted, so he's uh, uh, he's a different. Um, I think he's a Group Six, and he's uh, or else no, maybe he is turned twenty seven. Anyway, he's yeah. unrestricted, yeah. and so they. I mean, unless they can convince them to be Brad Malone or, you know, if they want to spend another spot on the 50 man list, but, uh, that the clock is no. ticking on that. Yeah. They're not going to do that. It would be a, it would be an AHL contract for, for Curry. I'm pretty sure at this point. All right, Bruce, let's move on to the draft. Uh, mm. and I've, what I've done is, and this is, uh, other people have done this, uh, my NHL drafts done it. And usually they didn't, they don't have a list this year though, but, uh, um, uh, the Brad McPherson of the Blue Bullet Report does this. And it's essentially you put together a list of all the different experts and pundits who are making their own lists. Yep. And this this ranges from like prof- people who do this professionally, like Bob McKenzie and Craig Button, to people who don't do it professionally. Uh, they just do it for uh, their avid, passionate fans like Sean Patrick Ryan, uh, who writes for the Cult of Hockey now and then and, and does his own list. 
and um, I haven't added him yet, but I have four, 15 lists so far, wow. and I'm going to probably be adding about five more. And what you get um, is kind of the, the wisdom of the crowd, I guess, wisdom of the expert yeah. crowd, and right. uh, who they think will, they're, they're valuing all the different players. They're not trying to say where they're going to be drafted, although McKenzie's, Bob McKenzie's list is more that. I don't, I don't think he's trying to rate them on their talent as more where they will be drafted, if I'm not mistaken about Bob McKenzie's list. He's trying to talk to the, the ex, well, no, maybe he is just trying to get the consensus value from right. the experts. That's what he's, because he talks to NHL scouts and he's trying to get kind of where the scouts think the players rank. Mm-hmm. So he's actually also rating them on value, not where they would go on the draft. But other people use different approaches, Bruce. What are some of the different approaches that different people use in, their, in compiling their lists? Well, uh, my good friend Alan Lowtide Mitchell, uh, he he compiles a, a very detailed like top 100 list, uh, and he relies quite heavily on what he calls math. Like he just he deliberately goes against the seen them good reports that says what kind of numbers do these guys post and how does their production in junior compare to you know to what they eventually accomplish. And what he does to follow up on that is that he goes back over past years and looks at, um, uh, for instance, the Oilers. Well, obviously his, his blog focuses on the Oilers, who the Oilers pick versus who uh, was the top player available on his list at, as each of these picks was taken. Uh, and he's, you know, he's quite open about when his list is second best, he, he'll say so. And when the, sometimes he's his list produces a gem that the Oilers overlook, such as, uh, I believe, Alex Debrinkat being a, being sort of a poster boy, the kind of guy that put up huge numbers, and there was reasons, him being tiny, being the main one, uh, of why he went down, down, down to number 39 overall in the real draft. And Lotai's just saying, well, maybe we should believe the numbers, not just these consensus seen them good things. And of course, the as usual, the truth no doubt lies somewhere in the in the middle, but uh, uh, that's uh, uh, that's how I mean. Unless you're somebody you can see all hundred guys play, I don't know how you can go with seeing them good unless you're relying on the reports of other people and already your secondhand reports. So uh, Mackenzie, I mean, what Bob does is very similar, really, to what you're doing here. Or I did the same thing myself for the Nugent Hopkins and Yakupov draft, compiled uh, a number of lists and just made a table like this showing where the guys were ranked, what the average was. And uh, often you see a single consensus player emerges at the very top of that list where everybody basically agrees, as again we have this year with uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Anyway, Bob uh, Bob uses 10, 10 scouts, I believe, and then he just uh, generates an average, and then you've done, used Bob as one of your 15, and you've generated another another average, and this is just you know overall ranking. It's not uh, it's not rocket science, but it's uh, uh, it's a nice way to at least uh, you know gets kind of brings the outliers into into. Uh, put some more, you know, the guys, I mean, Craig Button, uh, a very interesting, uh, he always produces an interesting list, but he always has some real outliers, guys he ranks way higher than anybody else. And he's done guys it again. he ranks way lower than everybody else. And I, I admire that. He has the courage of his convictions. He's not just trying to, 
you know, reshuffle the same, uh, gen- the same general list. But uh, when you have this many, you you'll get you'll you'll sort of smooth out those outliers and and uh, I think get a pretty true picture of how how players are generally looked at by the community of draft rankers this is different from nhl scouts and nhl lists they do their things entirely different but it gives us you know it gives us a good sort of general overlying picture of who's going to go where that if we're looking for who might go at number 20 well there's no point in looking at alexis lafreniere uh at the same time uh you know it it sort of gives us a range of guys to look at us as we've briefly done for uh for this podcast so for instance last year uh, Philip Broberg, according to the consensus of all these draft experts, was going to go 13th mm-hmm. overall. And the Oilers, uh, by this, by the definition, that definition, they they reached for him, right? When they took him, was it eighth? Yeah. Uh, who else did they take last year? Oh, yeah, Lavoie. Mm-hmm. Just check that, Raphael. Raphael. So he, Raphael Lavoie, I think, was it 38th overall? The Oilers yes, yes. And um, he was 19th overall according mm-hmm. to the consensus so uh it's just kind of nothing else interesting and so i'm gonna keep doing this in years to come and, and over a number of years it'll be interesting to see it's this will also be a good way to rate the raiders right to see which of the uh people who rate it's just exactly. good to have a compendium of how all these people did over time and i mean you could go probably back in time and create these lists it, it takes it's pretty time intensive to make this list though i have to say it took me like uh-huh. 10 hours to put wow. all the numbers down. Yeah, it's like a lot oh, of numbers you're inputting off people's lists and mm-hmm. uh, maybe not 10 hours, maybe six or seven, but it would took a lot, took a while. So this year, Bruce, the lists, um, we, we've heard this is a really good draft. Like, the, you know, so uh, maybe instead of getting 20 to 25 really good NHL players out of this draft, there's going to be 30 or 35 that'll come out of it. Um, so, uh, at the, and there's lots of good forwards. And it looks like the Oilers are going to take a forward this year. Why Why do you think the Oilers are looking at a forward this year as opposed to defensemen? Well, simply put, because they took defensemen each of the last two years. So, I mean, they got Evan Bouchard at uh, 10 overall uh, two years ago, and they got um, uh, Philip Broberg number eight overall. So those were, you know, each top 10 draft choices. Uh, before that, they co- concentrated largely on forwards you know since darnell nurse in 13 they took forwards uh four years in a row uh dry saddle mcdavid were obviously home runs poor yarby well we're still talking about that guy uh yamamoto's looking better and better uh and at number 20 uh where they are now just looking at the organizational depth like last year they went they went uh best player available and according to ken holland and crew that was philip broberg but I'd be shocked if it was a defenseman for a third straight year. I really think they uh, yeah they're uh, not. they will be addressing the forward ranks and more likely a winger than a center is my guess. But I, I, they might take the best forward available. It's, oh, I uh, think they will, uh, Bruce. I don't think yeah. they'd worry about that. I mean, you can always change a winger to uh, usually the the winger the four usually the centers are better defensive players. So it might you know unless it's locked in stone that someone wants to play center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I just, you know, they took Ryan McLeod with a high pick, a uh, second round pick, even yeah. though he's a center and and he was, um, uh, they had Drysaddle and McDavid then. So I think they'll, they, they could easily take a center. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's a number of players. 
I don't think they're going to be taking a goalie. There is a goalie, um, Yaroslav Askarov, who's rated very highly a Russian goalie. Excuse me. I really am in the camp of don't use a first round pick on a goalie. And and I'm saying this is a, coming from the Oilers history. Grant Fuhr was taken with a high pick and a first, very high first round pick. And he obviously panned out, but I just don't, I'm not in the camp, especially these days of, I, I haven't done the numbers lately, but I, I don't think that you get a very good payoff, generally speaking, from risking that top pick on a goalie. And, and good goalies come out of everywhere and nowhere and here, there, and everywhere. And I just don't think that's a good way to spend your pick. So I don't think they're going to take Askarov. What do you think? If he's uh, there? I'd be surprised. I mean, we don't, we haven't seen the full Ken Holland playbook yet, uh, but they, they've, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think that, you know, I think he took Mrazek when he was in Detroit, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like that was a, uh, a huge focus. Uh, I don't think he's unhappy with the goalies he's got now, other than he knows that by the time whoever he picks will be ready, at least one of them will have moved on. But, uh, I'd be surprised. I mean, Askarov, goalies in the first round are, are, um, you know, that's rolling the dice. Last time Oilers did it, Devin Dubnik, they actually got a good NHL goalie who's gone on to have a pretty solid career, um, part of it in Edmonton. Um, but I just don't see that being the priority for the for the organization that getting a getting a good forward would be. Okay, so the la- the the Red Wings did draft the goalie first overall uh, in 2008, Tom McCullum. Oh. who played with the Guelph Storm and played three NHL games. Wow. Just let me go back a little per, further. First so round, eh? They generally drafted goalies um, 80th or lower in the draft after the, after the McCullum pick. They drafted in 2003 Jimmy Howard. Oh, it was it was their first pick, but just 64th overall. Right. So, uh, and that one turned out, maybe that having so, that one turn out maybe encouraged them to then think, oh, that's, top pick let's take McCollum but most NHL teams have looked at the analytics on this I believe and it's pretty rare now I think it was much more common in the past to see first goalies taken in the first round it's pretty rare now and I think it's rare for a reason because people realize that it's not the best it's not the the price you want to pay uh on that kind of bet oh that's right I mean and, and let's remember Ken Holland is himself an old goalie yeah but I I think he's a he's a newer manager than he is a goalie. Let's put it that way. And I think he'll look he'll look up front. All right, on this year's list, uh, so there's a lot of forwards right at the top. There's man, there is a huge consensus, Bruce, with the top eight players in this draft. Like almost all of the rankers have the top eight players in a different order, and and That's only like only eight. a. Yeah, the same eight guys, just in a different order, slightly different order, not even that different in order. And they are Alexis Lafreniere, Quinton Byfield, Tim Stoltze, Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, Jamie Drysdale, Marcus Rossi, Marco Rossi, and Cole Perfetti. All of those players, except for one, are forwards. Um, they're all generally the same size, except for Quinton Byfield, who is like of Eric Lindros proportions and of style of play. Uh, and he's one of the late birthdays in this group. He's an August birthday. Right. A lot of them are smaller forwards, uh, highly skilled, uh, born earlier in the draft year, which is like September, October birthdays. 
But after that, Bruce, you get to a group of players who might fall to the Oilers. And uh, so we've kind of cut that off. We're looking at Dawson Mercer, Connor Zari, Jack Quinn, Dylan Holloway, Nolan Gundler, Rodion Amarov, Maverick Bork, and uh, Seth Jarvis, I believe, are the players we're going to talk about today as possible first-round draft picks for the Oilers. And all of those players um, are actually ranked higher than 20th on the consensus list. But my guess is one of them would be there to fall for the Oilers. Out of that many players, one of those guys at least is going to be available for the Oilers. That doesn't mean the Oilers are going to take that guy. Maybe they're going to reach, so-called reach, and and take someone ranked lower down. So why don't we start, Bruce? Uh, Who's your first guy? The, the, The highest guy... On that list is uh, who is it's it? Jack now? Quinn. Jack Quinn. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do we know? What so we're gonna, what we're going to just talk briefly about the stats of the player, and maybe a, a comment from one of the the, the scouting guys, and uh, do it that way. So what what are the what's what do, what do you know about Jack Quinn? Just briefly. Well, he's a right shot, right winger. Uh, he he ranged on your list anywhere between uh, rated six all the way down to twenty three. Uh, in Ottawa 67s, he played 62 games, scored 52 goals, uh, 37 assists, and plus 48. I mean, he had a very splendid stats. He is just uh, a September, uh, second half of September birthday in 2001, meaning he's uh, September 19th. He's almost uh, among the very oldest players eligible for first time eligible for this draft because, uh, I mean, he would have been four days short of qualifying for last year's draft so he's putting up goals at the rate you know at a very good rate but you have to think of him as being more a 19 year old than, a, than an 18 year or sorry, more of an 18 year old than a 17 year old at this point but uh he's uh, uh according to low tide he points out also he's a september 2001 who kept scoring goals all year his nhl equivalent and this is the numbers that low tide works to is he, he uses a uh uh coefficient for each league to translate the point scoring in that league to what a player would score in 82 games at the NHL level. That's using coefficients established by Rob Ballman, a longtime stats analyst who now works for the LA Kings. And he says his NHL equivalent is 38 points, uh, which is great for an 18-year-old player. You don't, unless you're talking about McDavid, you don't often see these guys much above 40 for uh, equivalency at, uh, at that age. And he, uh, uh, lots of, uh, uh, lots of, um, lots of buzz about this player. I've heard uh, more than a few people talk about him. The only thing that worried me about him, Bruce, is Mm -hmm. this. He played on an absolutely stacked Mm -hmm. Ottawa 67s team. And um, when we look at players who have scored well in junior, And some of them who haven't scored that well in the NHL, and for me, Sam Gagne is kind of the top of that list. Sam Gagne in a similar situation was on an absolutely (laughs) stacked... um, When you... uh, Same team as as Robbie Shrimp, London Knights. (laughs) So I just... and Of the top players for um, points per game scoring out of the uh, CHL since 2005, since that lockout, I've maintained mm-hmm. a chart since then. So Sam Gagne ranks uh, sixth. He had 2.13 points per game 
he was an August birthday. Mm-hmm. Like you just think like this guy is a yeah. point scoring machine. Like that's uh, that's at the same level of scoring as players like uh, Mitch Marner, Matthew Kachuk, um, and this year Marco Rossi and Alexis Lafreniere. They're right at this all the same group together, all at that same level of scoring. You'd think Sam Gagne was a sure thing, but no, he had that. So maybe it's I sh- probably shouldn't apply that to Quinn, but it's kind of in the back of my mind. Like one of the things, one of the warning. I don't know. One of the warning signals to me is if player on a stack team has that inflated his point totals where he's jumped from a low first round pick to a mid first round pick just because of that. And I think that's a possibility. And uh, But I'm not speaking about Quinn. I'm just saying generally right. yeah. that's a possibility. I can't speak to this player. I can't speak to any of these players. I've never seen them play very much. But right. just knowing what I know, that that's kind of mm-hmm. leapt out at me a little bit. So. Well, Marner and Kachuk, like Shrimp and Gagne, all played for that powerhouse London Knights program that's had so many strong teams over the year. Uh, uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, uh, the Oil Knight, his outlook just says, stylistically, Quinn reminds me an awful lot of Kyle Connor. That sounds good. He likes to score, he knows how to score, and he scores a lot. He should be a bona fide NHLer. Just a slight bit leery that he's one of the oldest prospects in the draft and played on such a strong OHL team. Same. That's why oh. I probably read his thing and that triggered it as well because I, I did read uh, Sean's list uh, yesterday and Sean's it's got a pretty good eye. Like he's picked out some some pretty decent players in recent years. Bruce, my first player is uh, it's not the highest ranked player. He's um, actually ranked twenty second. He's one of the lower players on our list. Um, Hendricks Lapierre, and he's a very interesting player because he's one of the ones where there's this huge divert variance in terms of what the experts think of him. And this is because this year he only played 19 games and he had three concussions in this past year. So, uh, he's a six foot one, 181, uh, uh, forward from the Quebec Chicoutimis of, uh, Saganines of the Quebec league, uh, 17 points in 19 games. So, um, man, that's, that sounds super risky, but wow. some of the, some of the people are really high on him. Craig Button has him, I think ninth, if I'm not mistaken, Button has him ninth. Um, wow. just have a quick look. Uh, there's a 10th. Yeah. 10th on his list. That's the highest someone has him rated. And he, what Button said is Lapierre is the wild card of this draft. I should probably have him higher based on his potential because I think he's a top five player if he can return to full health. He's the best two-way player in the draft. Wow. He's the best two-way player in the draft. So that's, you know, who else? You know, we've we've seen players have lots of concussions and come back from that. Sidney Crosby. Mm -hmm most prominent example, but we've also seen players have their careers constantly, constantly, constantly ended by injury. Three concussions as an underager. He does have the best uh, first name in the draft, Hendricks, with an X. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, you just, you have to feel sorry for the young man. Uh, It's such a big moment of his life. This is, of course, the, the tragic story of hockey. You know, injury, a great player after great player. So many juniors. Injured, set back by injury, and it's a very rough physical game. So who do you got next? 
Okay, I got uh, Connor Zari, uh, a right shot center that played for Cam Loops in the Western League this year. 57 games, 38 goals, 86 points. So very good, uh, uh, very good production, uh, point and a half per game, plus 30. Uh, he's uh, average. None of these guys, at least on my list, are very big. Six foot, 181 pounds. Uh, uh, he is uh, also a late, um, I always get this backwards, late versus early. He's uh, he's one of the oldest players in the draft with a late September. September 25th. 2001 birthday and he is um so he'll still be uh, or he's he's been 18 the entire season and uh so again a guy that's maybe ahead of his uh ahead of his um uh of, of his peers for that reason um low tide who hasn't ranked at number 12 on his list says he's a two-way center who's likely to top out as a top six forward and he's a good bet by this point in the first round, meaning the Oilers spot in the first round if he goes, uh, uh, if he's available. So, And on the consensus rankings, he's 12th overall. <laughs> and he's in the top 10 uh, for McKean's hockey. And so, and DraftGeek him as, as him the lowest at 28th. Bruce, so in terms of his point scoring, he's he averaged 1.51 points per game. Yeah. And uh, so if you look historically, players in that range are uh, Sam Bennett, Jacob Voracek, Neil Yakupov, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Ryan Strom. So we see an, an extremely good level of scoring. Like that's a, I don't know what his NHLE is. Can, maybe you want to look at 37. 37, did you say? Yeah. 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 So that's a very strong NHLE, right? Like for, a, for what's the highest NHLE? Do you know what the highest one is? Uh, left, left, it would be left. Frenier was 50. 50. Okay. Yeah. So that's really, that's a really high NHLE. Um, you'd get higher than that. Like Connor McDavid, I think had one in the sixties, 67 or something. Like yeah. That. Way and, off uh, the charts. But if you're getting above 35, no, above 30, good. above 30 is pretty good. Is it not? And above 30, no. anything above 35, that's pretty good. And we yeah. could just see from that list of players, if, if that kind of kind of guy falls to the orders at 20th overall, that's a that's a moment to celebrate because there's a lot of I, I actually really believe in the numbers as well in terms of point scoring. Point scoring is just such a great stat to chart offensive ability, and it's been such a great durable stat forever, and it still is. It really does capture the significant contributions, generally speaking, to the most important event of the game, a, a goal, and uh, so it's it's a pretty. A trustworthy indicator of who's going to, you just went by points and that's kind of what low tide's doing. You're not going to go wrong very often in terms of making a, the, the best bet you could possibly make in that moment. Alrighty. Uh, let's go to my next guy, Seth Jarvis. And, and it, it, for some reason, irrationally, this is the player I want the Oilers to draft Bruce. I, and I can't, every year I have some player who irrationally, because I don't watch these players. I don't know, I don't know these players. But I, for some reason, I always glom onto one and think, oh, I hope he, I hope the Oilers get him. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know why. I'm, uh, a grave character defect, no doubt. But I'm hoping, secretly hoping, openly hoping the Oilers draft Seth Jarvis. And it's because he's probably because he averaged a goal a game 
in his last 30 games or something like that. And so I, I, I see kind of value that may, you know, of course the NHL scouts are going to be aware of this. It's not going to have some kind of secret value. So, so the scouts actually have Seth Jarvis rated 19th. So that right, right within there. the owner's wheelhouse. And here's what uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, who has, who's more bullish on the player, uh, than anyone he has him ninth and maybe because i read this too and i know that sean's got a really good eye for talent uh he says um quote jarvis is an absolute workhorse and a very talented playmaker he processes the game quickly even at high speeds he's such a terrific skater he doesn't break stride even with the puck loves to take the puck hard to the net off the rush he plays with a ton of energy and pace it's really tough for defenders to handle Great hands in tight, displays great vision and poise with the puck, dynamic offensive threat, but also versatile, capable of playing multiple roles. And he compares him to Kyrie Yamamoto and Matthew Barzal, who who wasn't who went about I think he went fifteenth or sixteenth, right? Barzal sixteenth in his draft. <laughs> the other thing about Seth Jarvis is he was unlike Quinn, who played on a team that scored a ton of goals. Seth Jarvis led his Portland Winterhawks. Uh, by 28 points. He had 98 points in 58 games. And the next guy, Jaden uh, Duro, had 70 points in 61 games. So he was playing on a non-powerhouse scoring team. And I think that's, if you can put up points in that situation, that I put a little bit more value in that. His scoring, Bruce, I'll, here's he was at 1.69 points per game. Mm-hmm. So the players in that range are... Nathan McKinnon, Sam Reinhardt, Dylan Strom, Steve Stamkos, Nikolai Ehlers, and Tyler Sagan. I've heard of those guys. Maybe that's why I'm secretly hoping that they have this player. <laughs> that's why. That's my reason. Maybe I'm not so irrational after all. Yeah, it might be irrational to think he's ever going to get down to number 20, but as we <laughs> were saying all along, one or two of these guys is going to trickle down because, you know, there's only, there's a lot of good players and the Oilers are got a decent spot in the packing order. Why Why so many good players? Like, there's lots of guys with these incredible scoring good, numbers that we're good looking high at. Dra- good high, yeah. And uh, the orders will, I think the orders are going to get one of these guys. I mean, it will take on it. What for that to happen, it's going to take um, some teams going to have, have to gamble on Yaroslav Askarov, the goalie. And there, there's going to have to be a couple defensemen drafted. And they're going to have to then also go for the European forwards. And maybe the orders are going to go for one of these European forwards who are also really highly rated. Who's next for you? Uh, I've got Noel Gundler, uh, a Swede, <clears throat> six foot two, a right shot guy who can play either wing, apparently. A uh, wide range of opinion on this guy, ranging all the way from 10 to 45. He played this season with Lulia in the Swedish Hockey League, and he also played a part of last season with Lulia. So he's already got sort of a top level pro experience. Uh, 6'2", 174 pounds. Again, a 2001 uh, birthday October. So again, he'll be one of the older players in the draft, but the Oilers have shown an affinity for drafting late um, late birthday types in the past, so they won't shy away from that. I mean, 
That just means they're closer to being ready for the NHL. Now, his scoring wasn't much of it. Uh, 49 games, four goals, nine assists, 13 points, plus 12, but, you know, playing in a depth spot on the roster. Uh, he's got a little bit of a, of a rep, and apparently he's been uh, cut from a couple of Swedish teams, including their World Junior team this year, which was a little shy on offensive talent, and yet he got cut for reasons that aren't entirely clear, but... Uh, 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 Sean Patrick Ryan says there's been talk of issues off the ice in the past, which is why it's been left off Sweden's national team several times. Can't speak to whether it was maturity issues or just inconsistencies in his game, but if coaches don't trust him for whatever reason, it's something I want to know more about before drafting him. Uh, he says he's a risky pick for him in the top 15, but if all goes right, he should be a fine NHL player one day. And Low Tide says ranking Gundler 14th, young winger has a great release and impressive resume, but it's only an average scorer in the Swedish Hockey League. So, hmm. All right. Uh, I'm Next guy on my list is a Russian forward. He's 17th overall on the consensus list, Rodion Amarov. And he's as high as 7th, Steve... Cornianus of the draft analyst has him uh, seventh and as low as 44th. Um, that's on prospect pipeline has him at 44th. So um, he's another one of these, these European players um, are a little harder to rank uh, uh, at least for fans who know nothing like me, <laughs> just going by the stats, because uh, they they often play uh, a significant amount of the season of their draft year if they're really good in the men's league, and they get no playing time. So this guy played 21 games for uh, Salavat Uleva Ufa, and he got two assists. So, uh, but I'm guessing he hardly played at all. I mean, you can look it up. If, and we we'll, we'll probably do a deeper dive into each of these players, and we'll do that at the, that point. But, um, yeah, he also played, though, uh, in the MHL, which I think is their top junior league, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it's their version of the AHL, I'm not sure. But he played um, 17 games and had 22 points. And he also made their U-20 team as, in his draft year, he made the Russian U-20 team and played uh, seven games and had uh, three goal, three points. I'm guessing that's at the World Junior Tournament. So, uh, let me just check. See if that's the case. So um, let's go to what uh, Sean Patrick Ryan had to say about Amirov. Amiri Amirov is smart, fast, skilled, and owns a high work ethic. In other words, he's my kind of player. His hockey IQ is quite often mentioned as one of his best qualities, but he's also a beast with the puck. He's solid in all three zones and plays a very consistent all-round game. In terms of puck protection, I think at Hockey Prospects on Twitter said it best. Quote, you have to kill him to get the puck off him. <laughs> That's interesting. He must still have it then. Yeah. <laughs> he's still alive, you're right. Well, he's still on the list, yeah. Highly skilled player, very quick set of hands, equally dangerous as a scorer or playmaker. And, um, yeah, so that's pretty high praise. Of course, you know, there's been... There's been, it's probably not even fair to say this, but there has been some fairly high flubs in terms of out of the Russian l leagues uh, in recent years. So, you know, what, what was the last Boomer guy? Boomer bust. Boomer bust. 
Of course, Neil Yakupov played over here. I don't see the orders taken. <laughs> there's there's got to be some kind of organizational, um, lasting organizational PTSD over the Yakupov pick. I wonder if that still exists within the Oilers organization. Of course, all of those people are all gone, so who knows? Maybe they're going to draft this kid. He sounds like a fantastic young hockey player, so uh, if they take him, I'll be thrilled, I'm sure. Who do you got next? I got Maverick Bork. Maverick, M-A-V-R-I-K. I've never seen that name before. Uh, Bork of uh, Shawinigan in the Quebec League. Uh, He's a right shot center, 5'10", 165. Uh, he is a 2002 birthday, but early January. So at least he's, you know, he would at least have two years of junior eligibility remaining. Uh, in Shawinigan, he scored uh, 29 goals, 42 assists, 71 points in 49 games. So very productive, almost a, a point and a half per game. Uh, uh, Low Tide describes him as a creative center with great hands, great passer, great shot. That's a lot of greats there, Alan. NHL equivalent of 33 points. And he says, I think he might be available when Edmonton chooses in the first round. And he's certainly right in the ballpark because if you look at the elite prospects page, which just lists kind of the same thing you did, ranked 21 by HockeyProspect.com, 18 by Future Considerations, 22 by McKean, 17 by EliteProspects.com. So he's right around that, that 20 area. So there's a pretty good chance that he will still be on the board, but near the top of it when it comes to the Oilers' turn. What's his NHLE? His NHLE, I think, was 33. Was it not? Uh, yes. And, and could you look up Amarov? I'd, I'd be interested to see. And what, what did, did you say? Did you tell us what Gundler's NHLE is? And Am- what are Gundler's and Am- Amarov's? Uh, uh, Gundler, I'm not sure we have an NHL E, but I know he only scored 13 points in the Swedish League. Do they not so do them? Would, for the Swedish would, yeah, yeah, they do, but I'm reading off of Low Tide's list. Oh, and he okay. didn't list them for every single guy. Oh, okay. uh, but it would be in the Swedish, Swedish League's pretty high, but I mean, he only scored 13 points. So he might have, a, for an 82 game NHL season, it would be under 20, I'm pretty sure. Just under 20. And Amarov only had two points. It's not really fair to even yeah. that. So. Yeah, it's meaningless. Yeah, it really is. Okay, uh, my next player is Dawson Mercer. Dawson Mercer. And he is the high, highest ranked player on our list, Bruce. Mm-hmm. He's 11th overall. And a number of people have him at 11th. And no one has him lower than 24th in the draft. So sounds like he's the least likely player to fall to the to the Oilers. And uh, let me just see what... Uh, here's what Cam Robinson of Dauber Hockey has to say about Dawson Mercer. Intelligent, play-creating winger, makes the hard plays, but can also dazzle with his puck skills. Two-step quickness, already showing improvements, wears opponents down. And he, on, in terms of his point scoring, he's at 1.3 points per game. And he's... The players around him, surrounding him on the list in that same range are Jeff Skinner, Logan Couture, Michael Dalcole, Maverick Bork, Jack Quinn, both players we talked about earlier, Dawson Mercer, mm-hmm. Philip Zadina, Evander Kane, Nazem Kadri, Josh Bailey. So again, there's just a whole plethora of players here. 
and on my list, I didn't leave out players who didn't pan out. Like I, I, it's anyone who scored at this level, right? There's a good chance that a player who's scored at this level is going to be a decent NHL player. The, the only player that I mentioned who isn't in that category, the only two are Michael Del Cole, who still might be, I guess, hasn't Maybe. worked out so far. And Philip Zadina, uh, who's, who's a better bat. He's still young. Yeah. He's still yeah. young. He hasn't, he's not off. He's kind of off to a pulley RV like beginning of his career, Philip Zadina. So, you know, kind of underwhelming in the first two years, but could still easily become a, a very good NHL player. Almost, and the rest of the guys almost all are. So again, uh, well, he's the most unlikely to fall if you go by the consensus rankings. What do you got? I have Jan Myshak from uh, uh, Litvinov of the Czech Republic. Uh, six foot, 181. Now he's, uh, he's the youngest of the guys on my list with a... Uh, June 24th birthday, meaning that he's still 17 as we speak, and all the other guys are already 18 and have been for a while. Uh, he he played half the year with Litvinov and the Czech League, 26 games, five goals, four assists. And then he came over and played for Hamilton. After the World Junior, he came over and played for Hamilton, and, and he played 22 games, 15 goals, 25 points. So he, he started to light it up right away in the... Uh, uh, in the OHL, uh, again, according to Sean Patrick Ryan, he's an excellent all-around player who appears to be underrated by many. Uh, he was easily the Bulldogs' best player most nights, average over a point a game. Uh, not only is he highly skilled, but he works hard and is reliable in all three zones. Played both penalty kill and power play in the OHL, effective at both. Now, I don't think they had a very strong team there in Hamilton. Uh, he says, uh, for me, my shock has more potential than most because he's relatively young compared to his peers and still appears to be a bit raw physically. I see him as a center in the NHL based on how well he sets up his teammates and attacks the middle of the ice. I've heard a lot of Thomas Hurdle comparisons, and I can definitely see that in many ways. He also reminds me a bit of, wait for it, Leon Dreisaitl. <laughs> if he adds a bit of mass... And gains even another step. He could be unstoppable force, given his already developed skill set. So he says a top 10 talent in his mind. Now, he's 181 pounds, and I don't think Leon Dreisaitl had ever played under 200 and, uh, as a, even a, a you know developing prospect. So that's a bit of a stretch to me. Like He, uh, he can't quite play the power game at, at that size, but yeah. uh, that's a very nice comparison yeah, all the same. Yeah, when Leon Dreisaitl was 10, I think he was probably 180 pounds. <laughs> uh, Dylan Holloway is the next player on my list, Bruce. Uh-huh. And uh, he played at the University of Wisconsin. He is from Bragg Creek, Alberta. 6'1", 203 pounds, so a bigger guy, and he takes penalties too. Uh, so I think of a, a bit more of a rugged player here. And um, so he, he played for the Okotoks Oilers, previous to this in 2018-19 and 88 points in 53 games for the Okotoks Oilers. And then he took the college route, went to the University of Wisconsin, 17 points in 35 games for the University of Wisconsin, which is not bad for an NCAA uh, rookie. You know, Cole Caulfield was on that team um, and uh, a year older. And he Mm -hmm. put up 36 points in 36 games. He was the top scorer on that team. But they had um, 
Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcott, who was a first Turcotte. round yeah. last year as well, 26 points in 29 games. So they had someone called Roman Akan. They had about, put it this way, they had about five forwards who were getting more points, but also probably more ice time than Holloway. So um, here's what Corey Pronman of The Athletic has to say. Holloway's freshman season has gone just okay. And this he was writing at the end of January, Pronman was. I think he's played a bit better than his stat line suggests, but he hasn't been a top offensive player at the college level after being a top player at the AJHL level. Holloway is a very good skater who has a lot of energy to his game. He's not the strongest player yet, but he engages in physical play. His offensive upside is the main point of debate surrounding him when talking to NHL scouts. I like his stick skills and brain. I would not call his puck game top end or a true top playmaker at the NHL level. However, I do think he can make enough plays at the higher levels to play in a, in a team's top six and second power play. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when players change leagues, eh? Like there's always that changing league thing. And with Jan Mysak, it's interesting that he went to the OHL and immediately did very well. And um, it sounds like Holloway had a little, he did well, but not really well when he made that very big jump of playing against, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old, 19 year old players in the AJHL to playing against 18 to 24 year old players in, in college hockey on a stacked team where he wasn't necessarily first in the pecking order. So, uh, well, I had two first round draft picks from last year on that team. And of course the older players as well. In fact, well, Kandri Miller, he's a defenseman, but man, they're just, they had a load of guys from that uh, U.S. national team. So there was uh, probably with those young guys ahead of him in the pecking order, that, you know, he, he may have, uh, uh, you know, not been gifted a lot of ice time because I'm On sure the, the coach play. the coach would would mixed in uh, some of his older guys as well with those uh, with Caulfield and and Turcotte. So. Not having watched Wisconsin play a game, mind you, so that's uh, just an educated guess on my part. Caulfield's an interesting one, and there's still lots of people that are real, really sore that the Oilers didn't take Cole Caulfield with their uh, top pick. But um, I think Broberg had a pretty good s- season. I'm not, uh, I'm not against uh, Philip Broberg. That guy's got a lot of talent. So, Bruce, I think that's it for today. Okay. Covered a lot of a lot of ground there, David. Yeah, and I'm sure we're all going to learn more and more about these guys as uh, things shape up, and especially once the NHL makes an announcement one way or another in terms of when they're going to have the draft, that will change the focus of not just us and what we're doing, but also in the interest levels of, you know, when the, when the draft is imminent, you know, nothing nothing is of more interest to people than. The, potential players that might be picked by your team. So that's where we're going to continue to focus. Just lots, lots and lots of really high end scoring talent that could fall to the Oilers here. And uh, it's a good year to be drafting 20th overall because you're likely to get one of these players. And uh, Mm -hmm. if you go by pedigree, scoring point pedigree, um, lots of talent there. Well, the last three times the Oilers picked around number 20, uh, they took uh, Jordan Everly at 22 in 2008. They took Oscar Kleffbaum at 19 2011. And they took Kyler Yamamoto at 22 
2017. So they got three NHL players out of that. I mean, everything we've seen of Yamamoto is he's here to stay. And oh, yeah. The other guys obviously have proven to be long-term NHL players. So the Oilers have actually done pretty well around the number 20 spot. Uh, historically, their trouble has been in the number 30 to 200. <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, anywhere outside the first round is where they've had trouble, but they've they've actually made their later first round picks count by and large. I guess Riley Nash, he was twenty one and he and he you know he didn't work out for the Oilers, but he too was an NHL player. So they've got uh, they got a track record of uh All right. Is there a player, Bruce, that you're secretly hoping that they take? Uh, off the ones that we named, do you have an irrational attachment to to any one of them at this point? And I know that's, you know, you try to contain that, but... Yeah, we do. Have, uh, you, have you glommed on to anyone? I mean, I, listen, the, as we were talking about them, they all were all, suddenly all of them were sounding pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, these scouting reports, yeah. I mean, when you when you see, compares to Leon Dreisaitl, <laughs> well, that kind of, that's a bit of a magnet. Uh, Jack Quinn, you know, that guy... That guy has, uh, 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 he's got a lot going for him. And again, it could be a, just the, the thing of he's on a good team and, you know, and he's, you know, in a feature spot and he's a sniper on that team and he's piling pucks in the net. Uh, on the other hand, you put a, a sniper uh, uh, in anything approaching a feature spot on the Edmonton Oilers, chances are he's going to snipe because the Oilers have got playmakers. So you played with Marco Rossi, right? Uh, in Ottawa, mm-hmm. who's uh, the seventh on our list, and Quinn is 14th on the consensus list. So, right. and I'm going to be updating this list in the next couple of days because I didn't, I don't have Low Tide or Sean Patrick Ryan and a number of other right. people. So I'll expand that, and the, these rankings will change a bit. And then the other people will, of course, be updating their lists. So I was just going to say, you get to spend another 10 hours doing the updates of the list that people It'll put out fast. already. <laughs> It'll, the updates will be faster because they usually keep the players in generally the same order right. and just making small adjustments. So, Alrighty, Bruce, thanks for talking today. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>